We're going to go into our scripture reading this morning, which comes from Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 13 through 20. Uh, this is in, we're going to be reading in the ESV this morning. We encourage you to look up the scripture. I'll be reading that for you. Um, and uh, again, it's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 20. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, we are um, going into uh, kind of a, a, a new sermon series. It's kind of like a mini-series um, in our uh, Practical Discipleship series. Um, it's called Practicing Presence. And one of the things that we say often, and probably something that, it's like one of those duh statements that everybody knows, is that God is everywhere. God is here. You know that, right? No matter where you go, God's going to be there, right? Um, you know, w- when you go to bed at night, God's going to be there in your bedroom. God is there with you wherever you are right now. God is here at church. God is at school. God is uh, in nature, right? There's nowhere that you can go where God's presence will not be. And again, it's it's a real duh statement. However, the the manifest presence of God, it actually feeling the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God. That's something that we don't always experience, right? Sometimes it feels as if God is hidden from us. And uh, actually in scripture, uh, this idea is reflected in Isaiah 45, 15. It says, truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. I don't think this probably comes as a surprise to any of you. You know, do you always feel the presence of God? Can you see God? You know, probably for a lot of us, we can't. And that's a lot of the problem. There's a lot of us who, at times, we question whether God is real because we can't experience his presence. Sometimes we wonder, God, what are you doing? Because we don't see God's hand in all of that, right? And so... um I wanted for us to talk about how we can practically practice that presence, uh, how we can experience that more in life or maybe ways that we can access that and just general principles that we learn from scripture about the presence of God. Um, I know that's something that has been very helpful for me and something that I, I think I need uh, to be reminded of. And so, um, in doing that, we are going to be going through uh, this this scripture passage. We read only a part of it. Uh, you probably noticed that that we didn't read the entire passage. We'll be going over that the next few weeks. Um, 
it, it's a great passage to go over in the season of Easter, uh, because it, it is uh, after the resurrection. Uh, it, it is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Um, oftentimes, we call this account the road to Emmaus, right? There's these uh, these uh, two disciples, and uh, they're walking to a village called Emmaus, which is very close by Jerusalem. And we're going to pick up the story there uh, in verse 13. Uh, so the, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other and about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And uh, so, you know, this is... a. a, a a story that maybe a lot of us have heard before, but I, I want to point out how extraordinarily ordinary this passage is. It's both extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. Uh, so on one level, um, the fact that they encounter the resurrected Jesus, that's extraordinary, right? And uh, what we're told in Scripture is that there were hundreds of times Possibly many, many times that, that, that Jesus appeared, uh, before people. Well, it says that Jesus appeared before hundreds. I don't know if it was a hundred times that Jesus appeared to people, uh, after his resurrection, but it happened a lot. And so there were a lot of witnesses, but we're told that not all of those accounts made it to scripture, but this one did. And, and what's kind of interesting about this one is that the two disciples, that uh, are involved in this are not very well-known disciples. Um, we're told that it's uh, one of them is named Cleopas, and we do actually don't find out uh, Cleopas's name until verse seventeen. Uh, and then we actually never learn the name of Cleopas's traveling companion. Uh, a lot of scholars think that this is actually Cleopas's wife, um, and uh, uh, you know. Maybe, you know, during that time, you know, women were not looked at as, you know, with as much honor. And so maybe they just didn't feel the need to mention Cleopas's wife. Um, however, well, I mean, just as an aside, you know, a lot of the early witnesses to uh, Jesus' resurrection were women. But anyways, <laughs> you know, so it's Cleopas and another disciple who doesn't even get a name, right? It doesn't get more ordinary than that. You know, these disciples aren't the 12, right? They're they're not in uh, the Hall of Fame of disciples, right? They're not the people that, uh, you know, I I haven't met many people named Cleopas, right? That that people aren't naming their kids after Cleopas. They're just ordinary disciples who only get this little blurb in Scripture. We don't know anything else about them. And, and I think there's something really cool about that because it's just ordinary disciples that Jesus encounters. And by the way, the other disciples were very ordinary too, right? You know, uh, for the 12 disciples, uh, you know, there's tax collectors there, there's fishermen, you know, they weren't the first pick. Uh, they were just ordinary uh, men. And, you know, in many cases, there were also women who followed Jesus. But, you know, there, there's there's a lesson in there about how God can encounter and does encounter normal people, everyday people. And by the way, what what's happening here is is just a very normal occurrence. It's just Cleopas and his wife 
going home. Uh, we believe that Emmaus is their home, and they just, they're walking home. From where? From Jerusalem. Now, usually it's the other way around. Usually we think of going to Jerusalem, you know, this holy city, as being the place where a lot of the action happens. And in many ways, probably the disciples, for Cleopas and his wife, they thought like, man, that, you know, there's a lot going on in Jerusalem, but we're just going home. In this ordinary instance of them just walking home to, you know, pretty anonymous, normal disciples, this is who Jesus encounters, right? But at the same time, there's something curious here, and I really want us to pay attention to this. Verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Cleopas and uh, his companion, they encounter Jesus, but they don't know it. They, they don't recognize it. They don't see it. And, and I think that there's a lot in there for us. I mean, there's going to be this question that... You know, we're going to try to answer in some way. Why does God hide himself from us? Because we see here, right, that their eyes were kept. That that seems to imply that they were not able to see God yet. You know, was it kept by their unbelief? Was it kept by their expectations? You know, they didn't really expect to meet Jesus on the road. Or was that actually God's plan? It wasn't the right time for them to see Jesus yet. I don't know, right? But what we do know is that there are times where we cannot see or experience God as we would like, right? Isn't that true in your own life, right? Aren't there times where you can't see God? You know, and, and so on, on one level, we shouldn't be that surprised. Um, that there's uh, St. John of the Cross, um, has a very famous uh, uh, work uh, where he talks about um, what's called the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is, is a, a moment that we go through where we cannot sense the presence of God. And so what St. John of the Cross and what, what other people, uh, Christ followers have experienced is that there may be many, many times where you are in the presence of God and you feel the presence of God and you see the presence of God. Maybe not see with your eyes, but with the eyes of faith, right? Like, like you know God is there. But there be, may be many times where you don't. And that's just something that we experience. That's something that has been observed by many people and we should not be surprised. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, and, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. And again, we'll get to that. But I just want to acknowledge, right? They can't see Jesus. And, and so, uh, you know, maybe there is a, a part of them that's, you know, wasn't expecting Jesus. Maybe that's part of the reason why we don't uh, experience um, the presence of God sometimes in our lives. Because we're not looking for it. Because we don't expect it to happen. Right? We expect for God to encounter us in uh, spectacular ways. Or maybe, you know, there are certain venues that we think of as like, oh, this is the place where I'm going to experience God. But others where we don't. You know, uh, maybe for some of us, church, this is the place where we experience God. But my house isn't, you know. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, probably for a lot of us, um, we are worshiping at home in our ordinary places, right? Do you believe that your bedroom, you know, where you are right now, your, your kitchen, is a place where you can encounter God? Um, as we move on in this passage, um, we're going to see probably some parallels with our own life. Um, Jesus says to them as they're walking and talking, he says, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And it says, they stood still looking sad. Now, you're going to find out why they don't say anything. Because in a moment, uh, Cleopas says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So, you know, maybe on some level, uh, they don't know what to say. You know, maybe they're just being sad. But I think part of what's going on here is that um, they don't answer uh, th- this, this stranger who turns out to be Jesus because they think it's a stupid question. Like, it's kind of like right now that we're going through, like asking people, how are you doing? Or what's going on right now? Now, maybe for some people, you know, you're just like, well, how do you think things are going, right? Like, what do you think is going on right now? Um, I, I saw this, uh, 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 this tweet from uh, Chrissy Teigen that uh, she wrote, does anyone know if we will get through this together or not? Or if these times are certain or uncertain? No one's letting me know. I don't know if you guys have seen any commercials during this time, but they just keep, you know, these are uncertain times. You know, we'll get through this together. And, you know, for me, I, I've been telling my wife that, um, you know, while I appreciate the sentiment, when I see those commercials now, it just makes me want to tear my hair out. You know, I'm just like... We know, all right? We know, okay? You don't need to remind us. <laughs> you know, but actually, uh, so uh, while we may think that everybody knows about this, I, I was hearing some stories about, you know, folks who um, didn't know that the pandemic was going on. Um, I, I read the story about uh, Jared Leto, who's uh, an actor who, I guess he was on like a silent, um, like retreat out in the desert or something. And he was um, just completely isolated, didn't have his phone, didn't know what was going on. And he came back a few weeks ago, and he's like, wait, what? What's going on? You know, I, I heard a, a story about an astronaut who came back recently and, you know, came back to the pandemic. And probably, probably, you know, people let her know what was going on. But, yeah, I mean, there are some people who just came, you know, without having their phones, and they're just like, hey, what's new? And maybe people would have been just like the, the disciples here, right? You know, like just kind of being like, what do you mean what's going on? You know, they just stand still looking sad. They don't know what to say. And after a while, Cleopas answers him almost like, are you serious? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Right? And Jesus says to them, what things? Okay, we know right? This is Jesus. What things? What's been going on? Well, first of all, (laughs) it's Jesus. He knows, right? He already knows. As a matter of fact, he had the best seat in the house, right? He, He absolutely knows. Jesus isn't asking them, 
because he doesn't know, right? And he's not asking them to torture them. Why does Jesus ask them then? I mean, they actually go through and they start talking about it concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, they're talking to right now. A man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, and they go through the whole story, right? Now, I think there there are probably a lot of layers to this, you know, and I'm not saying I know exactly the right answer to this, but I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason why Jesus wants them to tell him, hey, How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Is because this is how you encounter God. It it, it may seem like uh, uh, something that, you know, seems rather obvious. But in many ways, I think a lot of us don't really acknowledge what's going on with us. Maybe we even wonder, do people really want to know what's going on with us? You know, I wonder sometimes, you know, through all our Zoom meetings, probably every uh, meeting that you've had uh, since the pandemic began has started with this question. Hey, how's it going for you? Right? And again, maybe you're thinking, how do you think it's going for me? How's it going for you? How's it going for all of us? And maybe for, for some of us, you know, like, like it just seems it's sort of obvious and, you know, kind of pointless to say, well, there's a pandemic and I can't go anywhere, and everyone's hoarding toilet paper, and I don't know what's going to happen to my 401k, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back to school. And and we, we don't want to say that. So what do we say? We're like, well, you know. Well, you know. Well, you know, it's it's fine, I guess. And, and, and I, I wonder if all of us feel like we have to be fine. You know, and and this is the thing, brothers and sisters. We we already preached the message about the cross and suffering, right? And and I think that sometimes we do look at those things, and those things seem spectacular, right? There's spectacular good and there's spectacular bad, and then there's a lot of stuff in between, and a lot of life falls in the in between times. And 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 for a lot of us, we don't want to really acknowledge that because it feels sort of obvious, and it feels kind of like. I don't know, like, like, it's like we're complaining about nothing. Like, well, I don't have as, as bad as, as some people, which is true. Like, I don't have coronavirus. You know, I'm not dying. You know, I have a roof over my head. So what do I have to complain about? I, I I saw some people were kind of like giving, uh, some celebrities a hard time because they were tweeting about, they're like, Man, you know, don't you just ever get sick of your family and just staying home all the time? And people are like, shut up! You're a celebrity! You're famous! You're rich! What do you have to complain about? You're complaining about hanging out with your family all the time? And the thing is, brothers and sisters, while I I understand, you know, maybe there's something about that public venting that can be a little, uh, a a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a little obnoxious, but I, I think for many of us, we don't, perhaps fully acknowledge all the stuff we're going through, you know, because we, we, we just don't think it's that important. Suffering, now that's important. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's big, and you're going to pay attention to it. But what about boredom? Do you pay attention to boredom? And, and again, I, I think that there are times where we're like, this is a holy moment. 
This is where we encounter God. We encounter God in the spectacular. I'm at a retreat and everybody's worshiping God. And and the praise leader brings us into the holy presence of God and we feel it and we start crying and we feel the music and they play that E minor chord that's just so holy sounding and you're just like, oh, you feel it, right? Or maybe there's moments of extraordinary suffering. You're like, man, like I have never experienced suffering like this before, so I have to turn to God. And again, that's sort of a holy moment too, right? It forces you to turn to God. You know you have to cry out to God. But how about when you're just at home and you just have nothing to do? What about these in-between times? And in many ways, the road to Emmaus, it doesn't get more ordinary. It's an in-between time. You know, this is before... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, and then that's going to be spectacular. We focus on that, right? We're like, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and then all these miracles, and people go out to the ends of the earth, and we rightly focus on that. You know, it's spectacular. But what about the days where we just wait for that? Nothing seems to be happening. You're just going home from Jerusalem. You're not walking to Jerusalem. You're going home from Jerusalem. You're just going home to your ordinary life. It's just a husband and wife or two friends, and they're just talking. And, and, and so maybe in all of that ordinariness, Jesus comes alongside. He's like, what's up? And they don't see him because they're not expecting him. Why would God show up in the ordinary? And so, brothers and sisters, I think part of this, part of the, the, the experience of God I think that many of us miss, is in those ordinary moments. Do you expect God to show up when you're bored, when you're doing nothing? I I wanted to say um, that I think there are many times where we can experience God and we don't really see it. I'm going to skip ahead a few uh, slides here, but there's a a song, actually, we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Um, There's a song that I really like by the Newsboys. It's called Entertaining Angels. And um, I I, I always liked this song. I liked the melody and I liked most of it, but there was always one line that really bothered me. And, And so this is in the chorus. It says, entertaining angels by the light of my TV screen, 24-7, you wait for me. And, and I, I, I don't know why, but that line, by the light of my TV screen, always bothered me so much. I'm like, newsboys, why? Why, why did you have to spoil this song by saying TV screen? You know, is, is it just because it rhymes? It doesn't even really rhyme with me. 24-7, you wait for mean? I mean, it doesn't, right? Me and screen, it doesn't really rhyme. Why by the light of my TV screen? And, and, and so the, the message of this, this, this song is, um, it, it's about experiencing the presence of God. And, and, and actually the other verses, uh, you know, I encourage you to go listen to the song if you don't know it. Um, a lot of the other verses talk about how this person used to be close to God and they don't feel close to God, right? What, what maybe some of you are going through, not experiencing the presence of God. And, and so the chorus, what it's talking about, um, is that there is, like every moment, every moment, 24-7, you wait for me, right? Every moment is a moment when you can encounter God, right? So you can entertain angels 
by the light of your TV screen, right? While you're just watching TV, while you're just sitting there and you're eating food and, you know, your mind's wandering. God is there. Do you know that? Are you expecting it? Are you looking for it? Right? And by the way, that line, entertaining angels, um, that comes from uh, scripture. Uh, and so uh, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And, and that kind of brings to light um, this, this uh, scripture in Matthew 25, 37 through 40. It says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. I, I was uh, reading this, well, listening to the audiobook version of um, a book by Susan Trott. It's called The Holy Man. And the audible version, it was called uh, The Man on the Mountaintop. And what it's about is this holy man uh, who lives on top of a mountain in a hermitage with other monks. And um, he just kind of becomes very well known where people want to visit this holy man and they want to learn from his wisdom. So a lot of people make this pilgrimage up this very steep mountain path and they wait for days, weeks, sometimes uh, months to visit the holy man. And so they're waiting in this long line, but the line actually goes really fast. And, and it kind of goes amazingly fast, even though the line is so long, so you got to wait for a long time. Um, the line goes really fast, and people are like, why does it go so fast? You know, And, and the reason why is because when you go into the hermitage, um, uh, one of the monks, he greets you, and he takes you in. He says, follow me. And so uh, someone might come in and say, okay, well, I've come to meet the holy man. And and. The, the servant says, okay, follow me. And he brings them throughout the hermitage, which is a pretty ordinary looking house. And then, you know, it takes them about a minute to walk through this house. And they get to the other side of the house, and there's a back door that leads to the back pass, because the, the, the path is so uh, narrow that there's only one way in. And then there's another path that goes back to town. And so he leads them to the back door, he opens the door, and he says, bye. And they're like, Wait, I, I want to meet the holy man. And then the guy says to them, you just met him. So the servant that brought them through the house, that was the holy man, but they didn't know it, right? And, and as they are leaving and they feel disappointed and they're, they're, they feel gypped, you know, and, and uh, he says to them, if you look on every person as a holy person, you will be happy. If you look on every person as a holy person, you will be happy. This is something that um, people in religious orders uh, would always do. They took to heart those passages that talk about, you know, when did we see you, Jesus, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, because you might entertain an angel and not even know it. And so many of these religious orders, they had um, very specific guidelines about how you welcome strangers. If anyone comes, any pilgrim comes and they just need a place to stay, you give them a place to stay. If anyone is hungry, you feed them. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's Jesus, right? Maybe it's an angel and you didn't even know it. 
Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but Pastor Steve, maybe it's not an angel. Yeah, but maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You don't know. You know, well, is that person really worthwhile? Are they really a holy person? Or why should you treat every person like a holy person? In many ways, it changes you when you treat people this way. And, and we are told that, um, I mean, in this passage, they meet this random stranger, and it turns out to be Jesus. But I think even if that person isn't the actual embodiment of Jesus, or that person isn't actually an angel, I think the principle is this. You can encounter God in those ordinary moments. You can encounter God through your ordinary moments by treating people as if they are holy people. As if those moments you have with them are special. I think during this time, you know, uh, you know, maybe we're isolated with our family. Or maybe we're just seeing the same people all the time. Or maybe your only human interaction is that moment when you go to the grocery store and you're checking out, you know. What if you treated that person as if it was an encounter with God? As if it was an encounter with Jesus? Would that transform the way that you look at that moment? All of these ordinary moments. And, um, you know, I think uh, th- there, there is a sense in which we can encounter God in these times, but we don't always, not in the way that perhaps we want. I want to acknowledge that. Um, in, in the Bible, uh, well, in, in Scripture, they talk about these two different concepts of time. There is chronos time. And there's kairos time. It just comes from the Greek. There's two different Greek terms for time. Uh, chronos time is the time that's just marked by, uh, like, like quantity, you know, seconds, minutes, hours. The time that you count on a clock. The time will just go, right? But kairos time is appointed time. It's time that God has set aside for his purposes. And so, you know, uh, Jesus would say things like, it is not my time yet. My time has not come, right? And so maybe you guys are wondering, okay, so when is your time? The, the disciples certainly were. They're like, okay, Jesus, when is the time? And then Jesus would say this very frustratingly. He would say, nobody knows the, the time, right? Nobody knows the, the hour or the day, right? The time is coming. You just don't know when it is. And so this is the thing. You can encounter God in any moment. That's part of this message. But this is also part of the message. This is also part of the passage. You will not encounter God, at least not in the way that you want to in every moment. That much is clear, right? Again, go back to the dark night of the soul stuff. There's going to be times where you cannot sense the presence of God the way you want Why? Well, the short answer is, it's not the time. Only God knows when that time is. You're not God. You don't get to decide that, right? I think part of this, part of the the misnomer about the idea that God is everywhere um, is that you can experience God at every time. But as we see in Scripture, that's just not the case. As we see in in the example of our own lives, it's not always the case. 
So again, I ask you the question, why? Why would God hide himself? Why can't we experience God in the way that we want all the time? I would be lying if I said I knew the exact answer and this was the only answer. But I'll tell you what I think may be an answer, one answer of perhaps many. I think one reason is because if you could experience God all the time, you take it for granted. If you experience God all the time, it's like if every moment was, was a happy moment, then it wouldn't be happy anymore. If every moment was a high moment, it's not high anymore. It's just normal, right? And in, in many ways, this is what we experience in ordinary time. You know, just the days just flatline and you take them for granted. We would take for granted the presence of God. And so sometimes you have to miss people in order to appreciate them, right? Isn't that true? Right? Like, like for a loved one, if you see them every day, you're like, ah, you again. But if you only see them once a year, then it's special, right? You make note of it. And so in some ways, we don't always experience God in the same way because maybe we would take God for granted and God will not be taken for granted. You know, in many ways also, uh, this is another reason. Uh, this is what St. John of the Cross and other saints believed is that in some ways, when God hides himself from us, it causes us to seek God right? It causes us to trust in God in a way that you wouldn't if you could experience God through your feelings and emotions all the time, right? So if you could feel God all the time, you would take that for granted, right? And you would get dependent on that. And you would be like, God, thank you so much that I feel so awesome. And part of the seeking of God is saying, will you still seek God? Will you still believe in God even if you don't get the benefit of the good feelings that comes from being with God, right? God is still with you, by the way. You just may not feel awesome about it. And there, there's a way in which your faith grows, where you, 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 the, the, the purpose of the dark night of the soul for many people is to get you to a place where you're not seeking God just for God's benefits and for how you feel when you're in his presence, but you're seeking God just for God's sake. And in that way, your faith grows. And so this seeking of God, this anticipation of God, this looking for God, right? There's something very special about that where if you don't know who Jesus is amongst the people that you meet, right? There might be some people you meet and you experience the presence of God when you meet them. You're like, wow, this is a holy person or this is a holy moment as I'm meeting this person. You know, if every moment was like that, you would take it for granted after a while. But maybe for some people, you meet them and something special happens. You have the kind of conversation with them where you're like, man, it's as if the presence of God is here with me. You don't know when that moment's going to come. It might come with the cashier at the grocery store. It might come with your mom. It might come with your wife or with your kids. It might come with that random stranger walking a dog when the dog poops on your lawn and you get annoyed. Maybe Jesus is there. And if we look for it and if we anticipate it in every instance, there will be times when you find it. In my own prayer life, um, there have been times where um, sometimes it just gets routine. I do the same thing every day. 
You know, I have the same prayer routine. And, and I have to be honest that that's one of the great things about routine is that you just do it automatically. But unfortunately, part of the, the, the problem is that you just slip into a routine, you know, and it just becomes old hat. And, and one of the things I have to frequently remind myself is I am not just meditating. I, I, I'm not just closing my eyes and resting for the sake of resting. I am here to encounter the living God. Right? And, and this is one of the things that they say in prayer is, is perhaps the most essential ingredient is not, um, it's not what you are paying attention to. It is your intention. Why are you there? Uh, so like, there's like the Buddhist meditation, right? It's all about paying attention. It's all about listening to your breath, right? Because if there is no God, then what are you going to pay attention to? You're just going to pay attention to your breath, you know? You're just going to be there with stuff, you know? But with God, the idea is that you cannot see God. And you can't always feel God. But what we are doing in prayer is opening up ourselves to the intention, God, I have come here to be with you. Now, this is very important, very, very important. You're not always going to feel something, right? Because God wouldn't be a hidden God if you did. It's just not the way it works, not yet, there's going to be a time you experience God face to face and you're going to feel awesome all the time. You're going to feel the presence of God all the time. But it doesn't happen all the time. And again, I think another reason for this is maybe because if we were able to be like, okay, God, show up. God, make me feel better. God, I want to experience your presence right now, right now. God, show up. Then you would be God. God would be serving you. But we are the servants. You know what servants do? You know the main thing a servant does? Wait. That's what a servant does. You wait upon the master. Master, what is your will? Master, when do you want to show up? Master can show up whenever the master wants. Right? The master doesn't show up and is like, oh my gosh, it's 8 o'clock, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, servant, that I'm late. No, master gets to show up whenever master wants. It's the servant that waits. And in that waiting is the proper posture to be before God. So in some of your prayers, in many of your prayers, should be the concept of waiting. You are waiting upon the Lord. And if God doesn't show up in the way that you want, it is not for you to get upset. Well, I guess there is no God. Well, God, why won't you show up? Again, you ain't the master. You're not God, right? But this idea, God, however you want to show up, however you want to appear to me, Sometimes all I get from my prayer time is just a moment of stillness. Sometimes all I get is the habit that I get of appearing before God. At least that's all I think I'm getting, right? I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. I don't know what God is doing in my heart. I just trust that as I show up again and again and again, there are going to be times where God shows up in dramatic ways. And there's going to be times where he doesn't. But God is always there. So it is always good to be in the presence of God, right? And there's so much stuff, good stuff that is happening just beneath the surface of the earth that's happening in the depths of my heart and soul, and I'm just trusting that's happening. And I can tell you that over time, I definitely see the goodness of God happening and occurring in my life, right? I mean, it's worth it. 
even if I don't feel God's particular presence on a specific moment. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that you won't experience God's presence at times. But not always the way that you want. It's very important, right? But we do show up because God can show up. God will show up. We just don't know when. We don't know when. Does that sound familiar? We don't know when this is going to be over. We don't know when we can go back to school. We don't know when we're going to be able to hang out with our friends and come back to church. We are in a place that uh, Richard Rohr calls liminal space. Liminal space, it comes from the Latin uh, root limen, which just means threshold. What liminal space is, it's an in-between time. It's a time where things haven't happened yet. It's a time of transition. It's a time of transformation. Uh, Richard Rohr thinks that um, times like uh, uh, September 11th were a liminal space that a lot of us experienced. You know, where time is just different. You, you don't know what's going to happen next. Those moments after 9-11, for those of you who are old enough to remember, it was a weird time. It's like time stopped. You know, we, we didn't experience time the way we normally do. We're just like, hey, what's next? You know, it, it was an interruption to the way life usually is. You know, some, sometimes we experience that through death. You know, maybe when the person dies, that's very dramatic. But in the days, weeks, and months after that, just life looks different. You just don't know what's coming next, right? How do you live your life without this person at least physically present in your world anymore? And what we are all collectively experiencing, I think, is liminal space in terms of what we are going through right now. We do not know when this is going to end. We're on the threshold. We are becoming. It's the hallway that is leading to something else, and we don't know what that something else is, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And one of the great things with liminal space, and liminal space can be such a holy time. It can be Kairos time because it can be a time where we allow God to work in our lives in a way that we orderly, ordinarily don't give God permission to work. Well, like, God, I got this. I got my schedule. I got my life planned out. I know exactly how this is going to happen. How is God going to show up there? Hey, I'm just walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus like I always do, and we're just going home. We know what to expect. A random stranger comes up and is like, what's up? And you're like, dude, the heck? All right, this is an A and B conversation. See yourself out, right? It's rude, right? Jesus interrupts the normal flow of their life, and he shows up, and they can't even see him because they're not expecting him. They don't want him there. And sometimes there are moments in life that just get interrupted. Your life gets interrupted. Everything gets interrupted. And maybe in these moments, we can be still enough. We can be expectant enough for God to show up in new ways. What if every time you meet and talk to someone, it is an opportunity for Jesus to appear? What if those moments when you're so bored, you're like, I don't know what to do. I've watched every show on Netflix. Everything's been binged, 100% completion, right? There's nothing new to do. 
I don't know what to do with myself. What if in that moment you were to expect God? You were to look for God. You were to wait on God. Maybe, maybe he'll surprise you. Maybe he'll show up. I don't know how that's going to happen. I can't say it's going to happen exactly as it has for me. It'll be different for you. But I think God will show up in his time, in his way. There have been moments through all of this where um, you know, I think to myself, what am I doing, you know? I, I, I just, I want to do something. I want to get something done. I feel so unproductive, you know? All these people who are like, you know, I'm learning a new instrument. I'm learning a new language. And I'm like, I'm just playing lots of games on my phone, you know? It just makes me feel guilty. I'm like, why am I feeling guilty? There's like nothing to do. There's nothing for us to do, you know? But I think that, at least in my prayer time, what's made all the difference in the world is just being still and saying, God, I'm here to encounter you. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know that I'm going to be really productive today. I'm just here to encounter you. If I do nothing else this day, I'm going to sit here for a moment And just give you room to show up in my life. How are you creating room in your life? Again, the liminal space, I think what's kind of special about that is maybe the room's already been cleared out. When you were so busy, when you were so tied to your schedule, when you were doing all the stuff you wanted to do, meeting all the people you wanted to meet, you know, only being around people that you like, Everything's so well manicured, well taken care of, so well controlled. Maybe God couldn't find a way into your life that's been so well protected. But has everything's been cleared out? It's just, it's voluminous, the space. There's so much space. Will you let him in? Will you give him that space? Will you look for him? Will you say, God, I am here. Show up, however you want to, in whatever way you want to, in whatever timing you want to. Can you pray that? Can you look for God in all of those situations? Praise team, can you guys come up? That's my hope for us. And I think that when we live in Kronos time, time, it always feels like it's slipping away. There's just not enough of it. Right? I mean, it's like, you know, you're just counting it. You're just, it, it, time is like a tool for us to be used. Time is money. You know, I got to keep busy. I got to keep efficient. When you're in Kairos time, when you're on God's time, I mean, first of all, you are not in control. You don't know the timing of things. And so it is a place of imminent trust. It is a place where you can be in the moment and you can listen to the voice of God where you can respond to the grace of God. You can rest in the grace of God. May we have more Kairos time, more time that is appointed by God, that that is set aside for God to use, that is made open for God to come in 
and to encounter us. So can this just be a moment that we set aside? When we go before God in prayer, I wonder if we're like, well, I know how this is going to go. I'm going to sit still, I'm going to be quiet, and nothing's going to happen. And then I'm going to go make a sandwich. And then I'll go play some games. And then I'll go do whatever. Can we just take a moment and just say, God, your will be done. Whatever you want. This is an open slate, an open space. My life is an open space. Some things have died in my life. And instead of holding on to that, instead of trying to still control everything and make everything the way that we want to say Lord, you do with our lives as you will. As things have been cleared out, God, we just want to expect you. We have no more agendas. We have no more plans. God, we just want you. Precious God, we are so grateful that you are God that meets us in the ordinary spaces in life. You meet us in our pajamas. You meet us when we're not at our best. You meet us when times are uncertain. You meet us when we don't know what the heck we're doing. God, may we encounter you in your timing. And God, we just want to make room in our hearts, in our schedules, in our expectations. Come, do as you will. Show up and be God in our lives, but in your timing. We put our trust, we put our faith in you, We worship you, God. We wait upon you. We thank you, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.